Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. All right, 8 o'clock hour here. Good Tuesday morning to you. I know a bit of a dose of reality for a lot of people. Heading back to work here. Weather looks great all week long. A little steamier, though, in Indy. Um, you know, I feel like, Jake, it's kind of our... I don't want to act like we're some Mayan Heidi. Uh, oh, this is our duty, but I do feel like with the amount of 500 attention we give here over the last couple of weeks, in particular our show, and a large portion thanks to you, it's good to kind of put a bow on things here in the, you know, a couple of shows right after the race occurs. And I know our audience just wasn't as typical as it normally is um, with Memorial Day from yesterday. So a popular topic that we discussed yesterday on the show was how the race ended and the red flag situation, the multiple red flags, but in particular, the final one that led to a one lap green, white, a flag. And obviously Joseph Newgarden passes Marcus Erickson on the outside down the back stretch, and, and he's the winner and, and held off Erickson the rest of the way. Certainly Tim Sendrick, who we had on yesterday, the Team Penske president, is going to be biased. But I thought he brought up an interesting point about the reason why we got that final red flag. And for those that don't recall, it was right off of a restart, a very chaotic restart, in Marcus Erickson passing Joseph Newgarden behind him, basically right at the time the leaders were crossing the yard of bricks for the restart, you had a crash The crash that involved, I think it was Benjamin Peterson, I think Ed Carpenter was involved, there were a couple of other cars, and basically, for you to have properly settled or explained, hey, who was first at that restart? Okay, who's in third now? Who's in seventh? You would have had to gone to like several minutes of video review. And you know how awkward that would have been yep. to all of a sudden come over the loudspeaker and here's Dave Calabro and Alan Beswick being like, oh yeah, um, okay, so after further review, <laughs> yeah. this guy finished second, this guy finished fifth, this guy was ninth. It would have just been one of the more awkward announcements of this is how the race is ending. And I don't know if that's necessarily like letter of the law, the the, the, the best way to you know, state how the race ended, Jake, but I just think whether it's right or wrong, whether it's in the rule book or not, we deserved a better finish than ample video review. And I think that's what we would have gotten had there not been one more red flag thrown. I, I think, and I totally understand that a lot of people listening may not be nuanced like race fans, right? So they may not understand even what red flag, yellow flag, I, I get all that. A red flag means, obviously, as we saw, a stoppage of the race with no changes being made to the cars and no positions changing until you restart them back up and you go green and you run the race again. I think it's... The race is 500 miles, period. And I will commend them for sticking to that. You know, they didn't do... 
okay, we're going to do five extra laps here just so that we have a shootout. No, it's 500 miles. It's 200 laps. But I feel like perhaps there should be, because the one lap shootout, one lap is tough. Because whoever's running in first, it, there is, when you are coming to a flying start, there's an aerodynamic advantage to the person that's running right behind. They're, they're going to make that pass nine times out of ten. So if you're sitting in first. Kind of a sitting it, duck. You're a sitting duck. And that one lap shootout, it, it is pretty dramatic, but it's also, I hate to say it seems unfair because it's there are a million factors that go into it. I do feel like perhaps there should be a rule that says the race can't be red flagged in the last, let's say, three laps. So if someone hits the wall on lap one, although then the other side of that, Kevin, is it is very anticlimactic to see the race finish under yellow. Dario Franchitti won three races here, though. He's never won one under green. It was under yellow every time. Tony Kanaan won under yellow. it didn't happen for a long time. Then it happened in 88, happened again the next year. But I, I do feel like perhaps there is something there that they could look into. But at the same time... Should it matter how the yellow occurs? or how? Like, for example, last year in front of you, Jake, Sage Karam crashes on what? the fi- That was the final lap, right? When Sage Karam crashed and Marcus Erickson was in the lead. Correct. So at that point... Sage Karam was what twentieth place? I don't know. He was he was way behind, and it was crystal clear that Marcus Erickson was in front of Pato Award yes, at that moment. Correct. Whereas the yellow from Sunday that caused the final red flag, or I should say, the crash that caused the final red flag, that was beyond chaotic. You had you half the correct. cars that hadn't even reached the the, the start finish line. You know, did Newgarden get passed in time? I mean, Newgarden was I think fourth. When they got to pit lane, and then they had to move his car up to second. They had to reorder Newgarden yeah. from from where he initially was. So, I guess what I'm getting at is like, does the type of crash or where the crash occurs should that influence the throwing of the red flag or not? The the thing about the red flag, Kevin, that and, and it's a great point you make rhetorically. I, the other thing that's a challenge with the red flag is. It's kind of tough now to put that toothpaste back in the tube, right? Yeah, it's great. It's a great point. I mean, they've the red flag was something that we never saw really. I mean, there, it happened, like especially in rain situations, but um, it was very rare that we saw the red flag. Now you've seen it twice in what three years, something like that. Um, or was it last year? I, I can't. Yeah, even last remember. year. Yeah, you, yeah, you had it? the red flag with three, right? Okay, they did that's three laps. Yeah, yeah. So. For a for a series that, and I don't mean the series itself, but a fan base of the series that has always kind of mocked NASCAR for the quote unquote contrived finishes, they become pretty reliant on that red flag. And I get it; it's to finish under green. I it, I, I totally understand that. You know, I have always wondered to go back when Dan Weldon won his second race in 2011. J.R. Hildebrand was leading when Hildebrand hit the wall. But Hildebrand hit the wall and continued driving. I have always said, somewhat rhetorically, theoretically, should Hildebrand have won the race? Because he was continuing to move and the caution came out. 
So doesn't the position on the track freeze at that moment? And if he's continuing to drive and he crosses the line, shouldn't he have crossed under caution? Now, they threw the caution once Weldon had passed Hildebrand. Then they threw the caution. Hmm. But it's subjective as to because Hildebrand was out of the driver's line. When he hit the wall, he was up high out of the groove, so they didn't throw the caution yet until his car started to drift down. Then they threw the caution. But there are a million angles to look at it. And I see both sides of it. I'm not trying by any stretch to straddle the fence here I, because I do think that saying we're not going to do a red flag within, say, the last three laps would be a compromise. But then I think about the fact of it is anticlimactic. I mean, you're anticipating that, like last year, quite frankly. Last year, as Erickson's coming by me and Pato's behind him, and I'm thinking like, okay, like we're going to have possibly a last lap shootout or a last turn shootout to Denary and I'm getting ready to throw it to Chris to set him up for the possibility of a ward trying to reel in Erickson and then I see in the corner of my eye this big cloud of smoke and I see the lights flashing and I go oh my gosh there's a there's a caution in two and Kevin all the energy you have built up for this great finish and you're like and a caution yeah and that was just a half lap correct imagine again having to have well I video review to decide Exactly, not only who won, but then who was the order behind. I mean, like, it was not a given, I think, when that yellow came out, or at least to me in the stands, that, like, had, did Erickson pass Newgarden in time? I really thought, Kevin, I really thought when Pato hit the wall with, like, five or six left. You're talking about in front of you this year. Correct. I thought at that point it was over because I thought, well, He's hit the, the safer barrier. Pagano and Canapino got collected yeah. behind Three him. Three cars total, yeah. Like, it's going to take six laps to clean this up, and Newgarden has won the race. And they red flagged it. And that's cool. And then that melee happens, and they red flag it again. You know what I mean? And then <clears throat> there were a lot of factors that went into it there towards the end. And so, in the end, the guy that I thought was gonna would have won it in the old system ended up winning it anyway. But... It was. It made for a dramatic finish. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, it almost, added to Newgarden's celebration too, because if he won under caution and he still won the crowd, the crowd would be like, "Yeah." But I think the fact that he won under green and you got that electric like yeah, just the, reaction, the, the roaring, the the roar of the car underneath the checkered flag is pretty dramatic, right? When you're without, at full speed, without a doubt. I mean, his celebration matched the climax of that final lap, without a doubt. I, I also think in a way, Jake, and maybe this is more of a modern, and by modern I'd say let's just go back to the last decade, I think a modern day Indy 500 has turned into this. For 450, 470 miles, your job is to get yourself in the top five or top six. And then you know once lap 185 or 190 comes around, it is checkers or wreckers, to steal a phrase Checkers or wreckers, I love it. What Tim Sendrick said yesterday to us of fear is just thrown out the window. And whether it was Felix Rosenquist, whether it was Pato Award, you put yourself in a position with 10 to 15 laps to go, and then you're going to have some chaos. You're going to have some restarts that are going to lead to great drama. And again, there is going to be chaos, but your job for the first 175, 180 laps is to give yourself a chance. And guys like you know Alex Pillow, guys like Scott Dixon, guys like Renus VK, for different reasons, over the course of those first 170, 180 laps, they just didn't get... They were removed from the mix. They tried to get back in the mix. They couldn't get all the way there. But guys like Erickson... New Garden, 9.30 today. Santino Ferrucci is going to join us. They were able to put themselves into that position. It also, so you you basically have 
created to where luck falls in your favor, you've also created your own luck because you have sustained it for the first 80-90% of the race. So now you can benefit when the stuff happens like we saw on Sunday. You know, the other thing that's interesting is if you were leading the race, if, if the three of us are racing and there are three laps to go, in the I hate to say the old days, in the system under finishing under caution, you want to be in front in case something happens. You want to be in the front of the field in case something happens because then, oh my gosh, you know, like like Kanan was when he won it and Dario hit the wall and it's like, holy cow, Kanan's going to, you know, he's got to, he's under caution now, he's got to win the race. Now you wonder if, if drivers aren't like, I'm not going to take the lead until the last lap because if a red, I don't want to be in the lead if we red flag it. I want to be in second or third and, and get the aerodynamics. So, like, I'm not going to make a pass here. Yeah, that's a dangerous game, though. I know, I know. Newgarden, and that's part of the fun of it, right? I, Newgarden did it, Jake, but Pato Ward didn't do it last year. Pato Ward didn't get it done. Yeah, Marcus Erickson right. was able to save him right. for the final three laps. So, that that's something to keep in mind. Uh, Dave wants to chime in. Nick, we'll get to you as well. Dave, what's up? Yeah, I was wondering, uh, what's your opinion on maybe uh, IndyCar adopting uh, two NASCAR rules, a green-white checker and a free pass? Uh, it's 500 miles. That, that's the thing, Dave. The, the, the danger in that is if it's on lap 499 and you go, okay, we're going to go green-white checkers now, and in NASCAR – the problem I have with the NASCAR rule of the green-white checker is then everybody goes bonkers and you end up doing it like seven times, right? What's the free pass? Yeah, that's what uh, I think. Like in Ray Hall's case, you get down two laps before the race even starts, you're pretty much done. Right. The free pass <laughs> is what if you're the last – what is it? I always forget. <clears throat> Excuse me, Dave. If, if, there's, if there's a caution and you're the, the first car – behind it a lap down and you get to go around you, yeah you get the, the drive around Got it. the lucky dog i think is what they called it when they first did it um again i i i like I, to have I, the i don't in- know if i like that yeah i like the integrity of it is 500 miles uh, period you know what i mean i mean Villeneuve, jacques Villeneuve. a lot of people forget jacques Villeneuve gets credit for winning a 505 mile race because he got he got a lap down and then he got penalized a lap but he actually he didn't make up two laps. He had to make up one because of the fact that there were other penalties, and then he served a penalty when a caution came out. So it, it kind of balanced that. It's kind of hard to explain. And, and nothing against Graham, but Jake, you know, and I guess nothing against Steph Wilson. That's probably what I have to go back to a week ago Monday. But you're in a backup car that's two years old that had a go-kart motor in it at one point last week for a reason. There's going to be some uncertainty, right? You know, with with that, and I think that's to your point. That's part of the integrity of the 500. Uh, Nick, what's happening, hey, Nick? Happy morning. Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Good morning. How are you? I am wonderful. I had a great weekend. Did you go to the race? Did go to the race. Yes. Now it says here you won a your driver's pool. Our oh yeah, you, Nick. You are our Nick. winner, right? I had uh, I had Joseph. So here is my question for you, Nick, and we're going to get your information from Mark offline. Jay's okay, lobster for a year, Nick. With here, both here cards. is my question, Nick, we, and you are we're, we're not we don't even know your last name at least publicly. So no shame here in your answer, but we're going to give you a scruples test, and there is no wrong answer here, Nick. There is no wrong answer. Okay. <laughs> All right. There were three ways that you could win the Kevin and Quarry Educate and Entertain Drivers Pool of 2023. The first, of course, would be that you draw the winner. Nick, you drew exactly that. The second would be that you drew the 
first out. That was Catherine Legg. You did not have Catherine Legg. You had Joseph Newgarden. The third way to win would be to select the driver or get the driver that moved the greatest number of positions throughout the course of the race. That also was Joseph Newgarden. So the question that we have here, Nick, in this fairly unprecedented moment in the Kevin and Query Educate and Entertain Driver Pool of 2023 is, does that mean that you, Nick, should win two gift cards? Does that mean that you won two prize or two positions, and so therefore they just morph into one gift card? Or does it mean that we ask Nick how philanthropic and scrupulous oh, he is boy, by, really him on the by allowing here. the runner-up to now get a card as well? At the cost of you. Uh, if if I get a invite to the PBR party, you can pass it along to the runner-up. Nick, I don't Hell know if you yeah, noticed Nick. this or not. The, the PBR party appears to be under a yellow flag. We're not sure whether or not it's red. <laughs> I was going to say, Jake, yellow? We're, we, sure we're waiting. That? We're begging for <laughs> it to go green. Sounds generous. We, we have been begging for the PBR party to go green for a while, Nick. But rest assured... Here's the thing. You will absolutely be welcomed to the PBR party. VIP. VIP. You will even be introduced and celebrated at the PBR party. We will not pour PBR over your head, though. Okay. Do we lift them up in a chair? I'm like, <laughs> Nick, why did you pick number 33? That was the New Garden number in our, in our pool. Uh, I had to quickly write down however many numbers were left, and I, I kind of just said I was just like thirty three. If thirty three is there, it's last. I'm a I'm a Graham fan as well, so kind of was pulling for him okay. to have a good day, and just kind of just went for it. I love it, Nick. Mark will take your info offline. Congrats, man. So, wait, did All Nick right, decide that? Are, are you pawning the second gift card off, Nick, or are you taking both? You are more than welcome to do either. No, no, no. Well, well, you can give it to the uh, runner-up, and I'll take the the first place. All right, there yeah. we go. We like we like Nick's I, integrity I, there. I do think you kind of backed him into a corner there, where he really had no choice or else. We don't know like Nick's last absolute, name. That could be Nick you know. Smith. That could be Nick Harmon. Now, that could be, I know a lot of Nicks. Are you going runner-up, or are you going the second place of the biggest mover? Because New Garden captured both. New Garden was the winner, and right. he also was the biggest mover. So should the gift card now go to the second place Marcus Erickson or Callum Eilat, who is the second biggest mover? You know, we should allow Nick to make that do you, determination. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? There? Yeah. Put Nick back on the air, Mark. Nick's getting <laughs> Nick's information. Nick's we'll let social security we let, number, too. We're going to let here. Nick decide this incredibly important detail that Kevin has come up with. Mark, put him back on the air. Hold on a second. <laughs> Nick, are hey, you there? Hey, Nick, you didn't realize that by winning, you now have become the judge and jury Good of this Lord. game. Nick's like, I got an 830 <laughs> meeting to get to. You guys just let me go here. Nick, do you believe that the card that you have so graciously and generously allowed to be surrendered, should that go to the runner-up or should it go to the person who has the driver that had the second highest move of the race? I guess the... I'd go runner-up. Okay. Interesting. All right. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate that. That's a big clarification from Nick. Okay, so we have Casey that has Catherine Legg. So Casey needs to contact Mark here to get his gift card. And the final gift card, thanks to Nick deviating a little bit there, it will not go to the Callum Eilat driver. It will go to Eric, who had Marcus Erickson. Well, that's only fitting. Can you imagine if his dad's name was Eric, too? That. He'd Eric be Mark. Eric's son. How about that? Eric, shout out. Casey, shout out. You guys give Mark a call. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I had texted Ferrucci, actually his PR person, and you know just said, hey, and she said, now nah, 9.30 works. And then admittedly, 100% on me, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like once I confirmed it, I didn't, she didn't write back to say like, yes, indeed. Um, but this is why he is the fan favorite of the show and the favorite of the show because I texted him was like, hey, I, I forgot to confirm. And he's like, oh, no problem. I'm calling right now. So he joins us now on the Payless Tickers hotline. The man is always on it. He is always on it. I And I knew, let me tell you what happened to me during the parade. I'm sitting in the parade on Pennsylvania, and I was on, we were sitting in the chairs right there, like on the curb, and the drivers that were on the inside of each row, you know, were like right by me. And, and here comes the inside of row two, and I look, and Ferrucci's got on these shoes, Oh, it was like red, stylish. white, and blue yeah. socks uh-huh. and the whole deal, and they're hanging off. And I mean, I, I could have like reached out and hit him, but I thought to myself, now this dude has so much style that, that there's no chance he's that he's going to do anything other than another top 10. Santino Ferrucci, who joins us on the show. Santino, you made history on Sunday, so my trivia question for you is, do you know what history you made? For myself? Yes. Uh, I think I joined one of three drivers ever in five starts to be in the top 10 in their first five starts. That is correct. That is absolutely correct. And as a matter of fact, um, you are now the only driver to have made at least five starts in the Indy 500 that has never finished outside the top 10 because the others did it after the fact. So no pressure for you to continue this streak. Um, but by the way, that's five top 10s with, is that four different teams? Yeah, four different teams, five top ten, two top five. Pretty good. Yeah, I'd say. Now, did I'm assuming you were not able to hear it, but when one of the red flags happened, it might have been the last one, Calabro on the public address was doing like a survey of fans. Okay, you know, who's cheering for Rossi? Who's cheering for Erickson? Who's cheering for Newgarden? I'm not kidding you, and I'm not saying it because you're on the show right now. I think you got the loudest roar. I think you had the highest number of, of like, votes, if you will. Are you aware of it? Are you aware of the fact that you are becoming a fan favorite of the Indianapolis 500? Um, I will say, though, hearing the fans cheer for the 14, uh, that's honestly kind of what kept me sane during those reds. Because you can hear the crowd. It was so different for when they called out for AJ Boy Racing and all of us. And honestly, yeah, I love the place. I love the fans. You know, I spend as much time uh, in front of the garage as possible all month long. And, you know, um, just a privilege to be there. So 
Uh, obviously, I hope that we can kind of take on that role a little bit for sure. Um, being good with the, all of that and becoming a more popular driver. So, uh, yeah, I love it. Awesome. 7th, 4th, 6th, 10th, and 3rd. That is the Indy 500 career for Santino Ferrucci. It's darn impressive. He joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Santino, I'm watching the banquet last night. You mentioned you got a pretty emotional um, pre-race. Is that an annual emotion for you pre-race, or was it a little bit more this year, and why do you think so? Um, no, it's not an annual emotion. You know, normally I've, I've always been really excited and having a lot of fun. Um, definitely just really enjoying it. I think just, like I said last night in my speech, you know, it's just such a tough month emotionally with, you know, all of our family and friends and obviously with the passing of AJ's wife and all that, you know, just there was so much riding on what we were doing at the Speedway and how competitive we were. And it was emotional because we also knew we had one of the cars to win. We woke up that morning knowing that we would be there in the end you know, God willing, and everything went as, as it did, and we were there at the end, and, you know, obviously if you changed some circumstances a little bit, it, you know, could have been us uh, on the top step. Santino, I remember having you on this week last year, and I'm sitting there kind of dumbfounded on why you didn't have a full-time IndyCar ride. You now have that this year with AJ Foyt Racing. As you sit here a year later, you know how do you kind of view yourself within the IndyCar paddock in the next three to five years? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I obviously hope that I'm still around in the next three to five years. Nothing's a given in this sport. Um... I really enjoy, I'm enjoying my time at AJ Foy Racing. Uh, I do want to continue what we're working on and what we're building. Um, I think it was really cool to come into the, to the series with them and they, the fact that they gave me that opportunity to drive for them um, has been amazing and incredible. Uh, and I'd really like to make something with this team. You know, I'd like to, to pull this team from where it was uh, you know, 24th and 22nd in the championship, and I'd like to bring it into the top 10 competing for wins because that would make me feel really accomplished as a driver knowing that I could do that as well. Santino, one of the things that, you know, I think a lot of people, quite frankly, it was eye-popping to see the speeds that A.J. Foyt Racing was able to provide, both for you and for Benjamin Peterson. Um, how much of that is Michael Cannon, who, for those that are not familiar with the sport, is one of the top engineers, and A.J. Foyt Racing was able to, to hire him this year. Um, how big a difference do you I, – I realize for you, also new to the team, but what kind of mind is that that you're able to have to, to be able to find speed in those cars? Yeah, I mean – he was my rookie year. He was my engineer in 2018 for a brief uh, when I was filling in in Detroit. And then obviously he engineered my car in all of 2019 where we had uh, three top fives with three fourth place finishes. Um, and we almost won a couple of races. You know, it, we felt like we had some unfinished business. Um, I obviously let him know where I was going before I signed the contract because I wanted his opinion. And, you know, and I trusted him. And eventually, you know, can you imagine a couple months down the road when he, uh, a free agent, um, he called me and he wanted to come come to AJ to work with me again. And, um, yeah, it was uh, definitely pretty awesome. And, you know, he just brought a lot of, you know, knowledge to the team as far as just structure, just kind of how we're doing things. There's nothing magical that really, as he says, that makes these cars go around 
you know, it's, it's just, take, it takes time and, it, you know, it takes precision and uh, it takes everybody to make that car. And yes, the setups are obviously awesome. What we've done with the car over the winter time has obviously been heavy, but at the same day, or at the same point, me and my teammate had the same car the entire month. So you still have to drive it uh, 100%, you know, and it's, it's never an easy feat. You go into that race on Sunday knowing that there's at least 10 or 12 cars that can win that race. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to have one of the cars that was more than capable of winning that race. Um, and, yeah, we still ended up third. So it's tough. Where did they? Ha- I can't remember Santino on the final red when they had to, when they when they went back and then they kind of repositioned everybody for the brief moment there. Were you? Were did they have you second for a split second and then you went back to fourth? Is that right? I was second. Um, yeah, when we when we went under caution and they put me back to third. I mean, I looked back at the replay um, and they made the right call. Um, you know, I wasn't ahead of Joseph when they called the yellow. Uh, you can see the light switch. I was about a nose, like a, not even the front wing, but like the main plane away from being ahead of him. Hmm. Um, so, but I think Indy Car at the end of the day, I think they got a lot of uh, mixed reviews from the drivers. I told Jay Fry last night that look, I supported the decision to finish under green. I think it's a big thing for the fan. It's a true way to win a race um, for sure, especially around the speedway. Um, I didn't benefit me. Uh, if anything, it hurt. Hurt. What hurt me was the fact that they were crashing for twenty. <laughs> it's not not anything that Indy, IndyCar did. Santino, you think if they pulled the thirty-three drivers and get you know, okay, honest, anonymous opinion was the red flag, the final red flag, the right decision. How many of the thirty-three would say it was indeed the right decision? I don't know. I actually haven't talked to a lot of drivers. Um, so I don't want to. I don't want to obviously uh, speak for the field, but um, I do know that there was definitely a couple of guys for it, um, and I do know there was a couple that weren't for it. But um, yeah, it's like I said. In my in my heart, they made the right call, um, regardless of the winner. So I'm just happy that we finished under green for the fans, and they got to see that that uh, spectacular finish. Santino, Jake brought up a moment from the parade on Saturday, and I've got my own that I wanted to share with you, um, and not to turn this into a Kevin Bowen family tree, but my brother-in-law's niece attended her first Indy 500 on Sunday. She was at the parade Saturday, the parade's coming to an end, and all of a sudden, you, Santino Ferrucci, take off your hat, sign it, and hand it to her, and the look on her face, yes, little Kara Duncan, the look on her face Sunday morning when she told me that story... I mean, the grin was as wide as 465. It was absolutely incredible to see her beaming. So, among all those fans that we heard of the 330,000, a little eight-year-old Kara Duncan is a massive fan. So, thank you for that. No, of course. I mean, it was. I love the parade. I love seeing the people. They mean, they we have this race only because they support us. If they didn't support us, we wouldn't be racing. So, you know, to see that and to, to make her day, you know, I saw her there. We were coming to the end, um, and I was getting ready to have back to the bus, and she looked like, obviously, she looked like she was a new fan, and she was having a good time. So I'm very happy that she got the hat. Small world for you right there. Certainly. <laughs> it's funny. But uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very grateful. Uh, I'm very, very grateful for all the fans that were out there to, and during the parade. I'm happy that she got a hat. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, I wish it was 
that, and we won the next day, would have made it very beneficial, but however, it's Santito, if we can, we'll see if the cell phone holds on here for another couple minutes because I wanted to ask you this. I heard, I don't know if it's, well, I'm going to let you tell me if this is a rumor or a fact. I had heard, and I think it was Long Beach. I can't remember if it was Long Beach or Barber, but one of the races that we have run so far this year in IndyCar, in one of the driver meetings, there was a vote of like, hey, here's one area where the track is just too narrow. Can we all agree to not use that as a passing zone and just understand that there's not going to be any passing in that corner? And everybody said like, yeah, and then you were like, hell no, I'll pass. And everybody's like, yeah, that- <laughs> fact or fiction? That happened. That was in Long Beach. Everybody, so we've been going there for how many years now? There's never been an issue. And now all of a sudden, it's, well, let's not make that a passing zone. Like, what? (laughs) What's wrong with you people? We're race car drivers. If you can't figure out how to have a gentleman's agreement to not get through there on the start, that's on you. And that's a respectful loss. Because you need to have respect in this sport. Because it's also dangerous. You know, and that's one of the big things at the Speedway to where, you know, you saw some big wrecks. You know, we got really lucky a couple of times on on Sunday, especially with that tire coming off. I just, I think people kind of do forget how safe the cars, you know, the cars are only so safe to a fault. They are incredibly safe compared to what they ran 10 years ago, five years ago even. I mean, it's just, I think some drivers take that too much for granted. Um, but so some of the respect between drivers wheel to wheel has definitely gone away, I think, compared to what it was uh, back in the heydays. But um, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I know passing zone on a professional series sport in one of the races, one of the biggest races of the year, like Long Beach. You got to be kidding me. I was losing my mind. I was laughing. I just get this I forget, impression. I forget whose idea. Well, I forget whose idea it was, but it was a dumb one. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying. Like I'm not saying that you necessarily are actively looking to be the guy that wears the black hat and is like the villain of the series, which every racing series kind of needs. Kyle Busch is kind of that guy in NASCAR. But at the same time, you strike me as a guy that isn't overly worried about whether or not you're the most popular guy in the paddock. True. I just want to be myself. Um, if I ruffle some feathers along the way, it's totally fine. Um, you know, I I'm not asking for much. I just. I also race the way that I'd like to be raced. So if I run someone hard, I expect to be run hard back. You know, when I race the guys that I respect a lot, like Dixon, Tanon, Power, Felix, um, you know, I, I race them clean, but I, you know, it's not anything where I put myself at any risk to them at any risk or any harm. So I truly believe in that. And that's something that Max Happ has taught me. So, and he's our series director. Last question, well Santino. Um, last question, real quick. I, I'm not asking you specifically. That would be rude of me. But as a general rule, because people ask me this all the time after the banquet. Hey, Jake, how much of that money does a driver actually take home? My understanding has always been high end, probably 40% for the driver. Maybe some a little bit lower or a little higher than that. But that's a fair guess. Is that a fair statement? Um, I actually couldn't, I couldn't tell you because... They didn't announce what we made <laughs> until they did Joseph's. And I think, you know, part of those numbers are obviously, um, you know, a lot of 
lot of that number that you do see most of the time goes to the team um, because it's in a it's what's, in what's called a leadership circle. So, you know, it, it skews everything a little bit. I mean, I think our par made that day almost half a million bucks. Um, I'm not sure how that money falls between me and the team, or um, but to be honest with you, I'm just really happy how we ran and we raised. We've been raising so much money in, in the light of things for homes for troops and for all those vets. I mean, I I am more excited to see what that dollar amount is at the end of the month because those guys truly deserved it, and I've met so many. So yeah, we you know we make some money on that day if you place well, but obviously when you drive for a cause, you know, it's a, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what you're, you're trying to raise money for and awareness for. Uh, at least that's how it was in my eyes this year. Santino, you don't need me to tell you this, but don't stop being you, man. It's why I think our listening audience absolutely loves every time you hop on with us and certainly part of the reason why you got the cheers that you did on Saturday and Sunday. So thanks for what you did at the parade. Obviously, congrats on the third-place finish. Good luck this week in Detroit, and uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be rooting for you as always. Thank you, boys. I really appreciate you having me on this morning. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Y'all have a great week. Nine o'clock hour here on Kevin and Quarry. Again, Bob Kravitz joining us right now from the Payless Liquors Hotline. Bob, I, I was trying to remember off the top of my head that phrase that you had. You thought this was the wildest finish you've seen 500 wise or just 500 in general? Just, you know, 500 in general. And, you know, I think the Look, it was the fourth closest finish in, in the history of the race. Uh, yeah, the phrase I used was auto, automotive Darwinism. You know, <laughs> I, I just, it was survival of the, of the fittest and survival of the ones with the biggest onions. I mean, a one-lap shootout is just incredible. And I, I, just, I just found the whole, the whole thing, the race, the, the quals, the bump, the, you know, what, what turned out to be a bump day for Graham Rahal. I thought it was really compelling theater all month long. And uh, I just thought it was, it was, it was the best race that I have witnessed in the, uh, you know, the time that I've been in Indianapolis. Yeah, Bob, when you bring up the entire month, Jake and I were discussing earlier, it's not just the 325, 330,000 right. that were there on Sunday. I mean, huge crowds for calls, huge crowds for carb day. Why do you think we have seen this resurgence, if you will, where you look at the past 25 years, 
all of a sudden, 2023 levels outside of the 100th are unlike anything we've seen. Do you chalk it up to post-pandemic? Do you chalk it up to Doug Bowles reaching into a younger generation? What do you point to? Yeah, I think it's all those things. I think they've done a really good job, Penske and and Bowles and, and, and you know Mark Miles and all those folks have definitely reached out to uh, a new demographic, uh, have tried to make it younger. You know, the snake pit, bringing that back in, in, in its current form was a great a great idea. Uh, you wouldn't catch me dead in there. But, you know, but it's the kind of thing my daughters would love to do and have done. Um, you know, I, I think I think the racing is, is fabulous and, and people recognize a good show when they see it. Um, yeah, I, I think I think the 100th running really was kind of that inflection point. Uh, of course, the pandemic screwed up everything, but you know, post-pandemic, I think people are finding out that this is a, a, a worthy attraction for them to to commit to. And uh, yeah, they've been getting great crowds, and it wouldn't shock me if we get another sellout here in the next couple of years. Bob, do you think I had mentioned this earlier? Um, <laughs> And this sounds crazy, but when I was a kid, you know, my parents, I went to my first Indianapolis 500 when I was eight and a half years old. And I remember my parents kind of like warning me ahead of time. Now you're going to see some things out here, Jake. Yeah, they, right. And like it was, and you know, that was the wild, wild west back in the glory days of the snake pit, et cetera, et cetera. There has been a concerted effort and it doesn't, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. There's been a concerted effort over time to make not all and the place is big enough to kind of accommodate every intention, but to make it more family-friendly. Do you think in any way, shape, or form that is an impact and that we're starting to now see the fruits of that labor? Because there is still the area where, like, the college-age kids can go and just let all hell break loose, and that doesn't impede the family environment of it in other areas of the track. Are we starting to yeah. finally see that result? Yeah, I I think that's a great point. You know, I re- I'll never forget. Uh, I had just come here from Denver, and uh, I brought my little girls to uh, Carb Day. They really want to go to Carb Day. Well, we were there for about 10 minutes, I swear to you, and we saw three people throwing up and two fights. And my little daughter said, Daddy, can we go home? So, you know, that's the way it used to be, and it's not anymore. Now, it is in the snake pit where my daughter somehow – contracted the swine flu don't ask me how wow. but uh yeah yeah from being in the snake pit but uh yeah they've done a really good job of compartmentalizing um the the indy 500 experience you know you can you can do the family thing the disney thing uh if you want you can do the debauchery thing if you want um so yeah i think they've done a tremendous job doug bowles and that whole crew have uh Made it made it so that you know you you don't have to tell your kids you're going to see things that you probably shouldn't see. Bob Kravitz from the Athletic with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Bob, I don't mean to sound morbid with this question, but it is one that I have thought about here, kind of in, in maybe recent months, recent years. When you think about you know massive figures in our you know market from a sports standpoint, you know Jim Irsay, Herb Simon, Roger Penske would be pretty high up on that list. When you think about those three organizations that those three men own, are you more? I guess which one are you more curious about post? Jim Irsay, post Herb Simon, post Roger Penske. Would it be the Colts, the Pacers, or IMS? 
Well, that's a great question. Uh, you're giving me more column ideas. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I mean, I think I think the Colts are in pretty good hands. I, I know that the daughters are, are deeply involved, uh, certainly some more than others, but they're deeply involved in preparing for the day when Jim is no longer with us. Um, Simon's got he, he's got his plan with with you know his family. Um, you know, I, I think probably IMS. You know, uh, what, where does it go after Roger Penske? Uh, I think that's uh, I think that's a, a reasonable um, you know fear to have because he's such a singular figure and has done so much and and, and put so much money uh, into the Speedway. Uh, you, you wonder who can possibly come in and do it the way that Roger has. That's a good question. Bob Kravitz is our guest. He's on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Of course, you can read his work at The Athletic. Bob, I am curious, um, switching sports here, because you would be amongst the four of us, the expert in this category. Um, Florida Panthers, Las Vegas Knights, favorite who? Wait a minute. That's not the final. Yeah, there's no final yet. Wait a minute. The Panthers aren't in yet. They haven't clinched. I thought the Panthers are in. No. Boy, for being a hockey show. No, wait a minute. What, what game did we just say is Saturday? No, the final starts, but the, <laughs> the series is still going on. What are you wait talking about? No, no. De- go, the Golden Knights and... Uh, yeah, wait. Yeah, the Golden, Golden Knights-Panthers, Knights, game one is Saturday. Didn't we say that already? Saturday. Yeah, I, I, I just had a brain fart. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, Mark, what the hell are you doing? Uh, <laughs> no, I was saying that, yeah, the final hasn't started yet. I know, but yeah, I'm saying no. the finals are set now, right? We let's know who the final is. Let's just restart. Let's you, forget you, the last 30 seconds. You're absolutely right. I, I just, I just. Bob is the resident mm-hmm. hockey expert of the group. Let me ask a question. Bob, Mark had five <laughs> beer bats yesterday at the Indians game. Apologies. No, look, I, 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 I like Florida, and I think that, I think that uh, the Golden Knights have a better team, but I, 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 re- I really like the way the goalie Sergei Bobrovsky who I know Jake knows very well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> Household name. He is, he's on one of those old old goalie runs that we see every once in a while where you have a guy who's had a good career but never much of a postseason career, and he is on it. He is really solid, square to the puck, playing smart. So I think Florida has got that pixie dust on it, and I think Florida is going to somehow win this uh, series Probably in six or seven games. You know, it is interesting, though, Bob, and this is about all I know about hockey, admittedly, but the last time that I think, because goaltenders on hot streaks are a thing. I I don't think there's any doubt about that. And the one that I always think of as an example, and I think it was the Panthers, was it not? Didn't John Van Beesbrook go on a hot streak? Van Beesbrook. And that was like a storyline, right? That was a thing. That was 1996. I was uh, in Colorado uh, writing about the Avalanche. And the Avs blew them out in the, in the uh, Stanley Cup final. They, they swept them four games to nothing. But Van Beesbrook, they, they beat um, the, the uh, Pittsburgh uh, Penguins with Yager and Lemieux and all those guys in the Eastern Conference Finals. And, yeah, it was all Van Beesbrook. He was tremendous until he ran into the Avalanche. 
Bob Kravitz with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline from The Athletic. Bob, we are, I guess, tomorrow at midnight. Zach Eady decision to return to Purdue um, is still, I guess, up in the air. Certainly haven't seen anything publicly on that. Um, are you surprised we haven't seen anything on that? And do you have a gut feeling one way or the other on Zach Eady's decision? My, I, I'm not surprised because he said very clearly that he's going to wait till the last second to make a decision. I think he's coming back. That, that's just a gut feeling. Don't, you know, I'm not starting any rumors. It's not inside information. I've been talking to his mom. Um, I think he comes back because I think there's unfinished business at Purdue. Uh, and I think that he's finding out. And I have not been up at the combine, so I don't know how he's performed. But I think he's still viewed as a mid to late second round pick. And, you know, I don't know that he can improve his draft stock by staying in for another year. But I think, you know, when you're looking at second round numbers, second round finances, you know, and the fact that he makes almost a million dollars in NIL cash, I think he's going to come back to Purdue. Bob Kravitz with us here. Shifting gears, Colts had their first open OTA session last week. Bob, I know you have been more on the side of go ahead and sit Anthony Richardson um, at least early in year one. What do you think the Colts, like how do you think the Colts are, are, are viewing things? Like we saw last Thursday, for example, when we were out there, you know, Minshew and Richardson each took half of the starting reps. Do you think the Colts have an early feeling one way or the other on what they plan to do with Richardson? Yeah, what that feeling is, I don't know. Um, but, uh, it, look, it's clear that Ursay wants him to play. I think Steichen very much would like him to play. I think Ballard is more of the don't crown him yet, in the don't crown him yet camp. Um, I think they have a better idea now that they're playing some 11 on 11 and they've had a chance to install the offense and see just how much he – he can he can uh, take in and understand. I think they have a, a better idea now than they did a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think they would like to get him out there as early as humanly possible. Um, but I don't think they're going to take any risks with this guy. This is a guy you're hoping and expecting will be your franchise quarterback for the next 10, 10 to 12 years. And you don't want to risk him losing his confidence or playing. Be- People forget he's playing behind an offensive line that gave up 60 sacks last year. And I realized that, you know, they had statues back there for the most part, except for Sam. Um, and the numbers won't be quite as bad. But still, they were pretty porous last year. And I just don't want to see this guy get his brains beat in. Bob, did they adequately enough, or do you think there's still work to do? And I know it's a tired subject, but the receiver position, you got a young quarterback, he's going to have to have targets. We know that they drafted, obviously, Downs, who is, you know, theoretically going to be the over the middle or the, the, the guy that can, you know, catches everything, right? But right. do they have the deep ball threat? Do they have the over the middle guy outside of Pittman? You lose Campbell. Did they do enough to get him weapons? No, they rarely do. And they don't have the take the top off of a defense guy. Uh, I don't think they've got enough at tight end. They've got about 14 guys in that tight ends room. And I'm not sure any of them are worthy of being a, being a big-time starter. So, no, you know, I, you know, I would hope they'd do more. You know, I'm curious, what do you guys think of DeAndre Hopkins as an option? I would think he would want no part of coming here. 
I would think he would want no part of coming here too, but I would think that the Colts should be interested if yeah. they want to be competitive. I mean, I love him as a player. I, you know, I, he might be getting a little long in the tooth, but I think it's important to have a veteran wideout. For, I mean, I think Reggie was that for Andrew Luck, and I think you right. know, th- that was really important for Andrew's early development. Um, again, it's a two-way street, so Hopkins can certainly pick where he wants to go as well. Um, honestly, every time I see DeAndre Hopkins' name pop up, Bob, what immediately I think about is how Bjorn Werner was drafted five spots ahead of him. Oh, oh that, that isn't right. DeAndre Hopkins, by the way. Didn't he have some combine issues here? Wasn't Supposedly, he, like- he and another roommate uh, left poo on the wall in their hotel room at the combine. Although later, I think it was determined that was the other player. I don't know that for a fact. But um, I remember being asked... Talk about marking your territory. In a, in a different wow. show that I was doing, I was a Hopkins homer because I'd watched every play that he played at Clemson, and he, he never right. dropped a single pass. And... That was when Bill Polian said he was not first-round talent. <clears throat> so everybody's like, no, nope, Jake, you're, you're a homer. <clears throat> Mr. Polian said he's on ESPN he's not first-round talent. I'm, okay. He's pretty yeah. good. Mr. Polian also said that Lamar Jackson had to accept the fact that he's a, he's a running back. So Yeah, I, you know. the All you need to know. The, you know what's funny, Bob? There were a lot of people that thought, and who am I to defend Bill Polian all the time, right? But there were a lot of people that thought that about Lamar Jackson. And then you wondered to yourself, how in the like, what were they watching? I mean, the guy was unbelievable in college, and, and still is, for that matter. And it does make you wonder if since then that's opened the door for other guys that that have that similar kind of a skill set. If that makes sense? Yeah. Oh, there's no question. And you know, I saw something in the story recently that. You know, five of the six uh, most highly paid quarterbacks in the league are what you would call athletic quarterbacks. You know, uh, if you if you look at the numbers, so uh, but clearly, I mean, I really think that like Justin Herbert, he he used to be the the model for what you wanted in a quarterback, but I think that changed so much that when he came along, people are like, yeah, you know, that's yesterday's news not realizing that that kind of quarterback uh, can still be incredibly effective. Bob, coming up, by the way, and folks can find out more about this at ALS.org slash Indiana, you have upcoming an annual golf event that you do. This is going to be on Monday, July 31st, if I'm not mistaken. It's the Bob Kravitz Golf Outing to defeat ALS. Um, I, I don't know, Bob, that there is a more cruel disease. Any disease is cruel. I don't yeah. know that any is more cruel than ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, I know that it has a personal touch to you. And so you began doing this a handful of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. This is going to be July 31st. So take me through the golf outing that is going to benefit the Indiana chapter for ALS, how people can get involved, uh, how they can play, where they're going to play, and what they can do to help out. Sure, sure. Uh, and thank you for, uh, for asking me about it. Uh, July 31st at Highland Golf and Country Club. Um, if you want to join as an individual or a, as a foursome or do be a sponsor, uh, call Kelly Smith. And her number is 317-800-5519. Um, it's a blast. Um, it, it's something that's very important to me and to a lot of people in this uh, in this state and city 
Uh, I lost my mom to ALS in 2007. I wanted to do something to, you know, honor her. And uh, this is the 11th annual. And uh, I just asked Bowen if he would play uh, because I, I know that Bowen's going to gonna win. <laughs> well, Bob, I've been fortunate to play in that outing before. It's outstanding. Um, you do a terrific job with it. And Highland, that course is always in beautiful shape. So nice Fantastic. work on getting a little Highland action in there. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're really looking forward to that, just starting to reach out to celebrities. And uh, hopefully we have a great field and uh, we're, we're ready to go. Thanks for asking. 317-800-5519. Correct. That's Kelly for Kelly Smith. Smith. 800 again, ALS.org Indiana, where you can find out all the information for the Bob Kravitz golf outing to defeat ALS on Monday, July 31st at Highland Country Club. ALS.org Indiana. Bob, we'll continue to plug that when you come on with us here. Um, so appreciate the time on this Tuesday morning and uh, hopefully see you later this week. Sounds good. Thank you, guys.